Welcome to another episode of the Drinks with Jackson podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson. And uh, today, I've got Chris Skinner in front of me. How are you, mate? Yeah, not bad. I'm a little bit disappointed with the uh, Drinks with Jackson. There's no, it doesn't seem to be any beer. I'm- yeah. <laughs> when you're on the road, it makes it a bit <laughs> tough. Gee whiz, the amount of cops I've seen today, just on the road, it's incredible. Might be cracking down on people like me. I don't know. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> For the uh, listeners' sake, could you give a bit of a rundown as to who you are or what you do? Um, I'm a owner-driver of a trucking business, haulage. I do mainly interstate work. I do a lot of work with APT, SPT, a few of the other poker companies, uh, pokershop.com for all their deliveries. I do a lot of poker related deliveries and bringing all the tables and equipment into some of the bigger series around Australia. Yep. And then when when there's no poker on, a little bit of other loads dealing with the general public. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm not driving the truck, I'm uh, at the felt sitting down at the table. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, having a look at your Hendon mob, you've been quite active, very active with a lot of listings. Yes, did very well last year, um, but did also play a lot. We, well, I got to 16 series last year. Um, Zoe a little bit less, but even with that, she needed a break at the start of this year. Was just burnt out from playing too much. Sure. Um, and I found that too with, I regularly try and do four five, six hours work, local work, wherever I am in the morning and then jump into the series at lunchtime and play the day and get a couple of hours sleep and do it all again the next day. And I found that I was burning out all the time. So I had to try and cut down on the work. Is there much action on this side of the city as far as poker? Poker? There's a, there's a lot of pub poker. Um, this area here actually has got a couple of the bigger venues that had historically probably the most games per week. I think Tigers had three or four a week, five, 24 or five weeks. So just between those two, there yep. was 10 games here a week and then a couple of other pubs around. So you easily get 15, 20 games here yeah, right. a week if you wanted to. Um, and then it's not that far to Club Italia which is where now this year has started to pick up. I think they've got maybe six games a week. It's quite a few. nearly one a day, nearly. How did you get into poker and what initially attracted you to the game? Uh, Very initially was just home poker with mates. Um, We didn't even really know. Well, looking back at what we want to do now, we didn't really know what we were doing, just having a drink, playing poker as as we thought poker was. Yeah. Um, and then was doing all right with that. Started playing a little bit online in the early days on, um, I think, Party Poker. There was another older one, which is not around here. I think maybe Paradise Poker. Yep. I was doing really well on those. So then I started, they started doing cash games at, I was in Brisbane at the time, at the Treasury there, but it was Limit. So played quite a lot of Limit cash there. Yep. During the days. How do you find that? At the time, I was doing all right. Limit versus no limit? Oh, now I'd much prefer no limit. Like, there was just no no comparison, really. Yeah. Um, but what we found, oh, well, maybe maybe there was because that was around 2006 area and Hashem had won in 2005. So I assumed that the poker boom, especially here in Melbourne, was starting to pick up. But I didn't really know of it in Brisbane. There wasn't much going on pub-wise that I knew about. It could have been there, but... I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, I, I moved overseas then at the end of that year and so I got a lot onto online because there was just no poker or anything to do in Egypt in general. I was living in Egypt for a year. Living in Egypt and working in Libya. 
Um, and then at the end of that year, we moved to the UK and pub on every corner and poker in every second one of them. Yeah, right. Started playing pub poker. and I see there was a couple of listings uh, for doing, London and Paris. Well, that's, yeah, I started doing really well at the pub poker. Yeah. Um, and it, we were over there travelling, so missus went down to London to whatever we were going down there for and there just happened to be a big EPT on. Yeah, right. Um, couldn't get a game in that. No way too expensive for me anyway. Yep. But we'd seen that the following month there was another smaller series there. So the next trip down, went and played a $300 game and just happened to win that one for yeah. 15 or 16,000 pounds. And Pretty petty. That, uh, <laughs> that, that got me hooked after that. Yeah, hell yeah, as it would. Uh, obviously, you've been playing for quite some time. You mentioned in the early thousands with the uh, online and cash. Uh, how has the landscape of poker changed in Australia during that time? Well, I was away for four years overseas. Yeah. Um, I came back for a little bit in the middle of that for Christmas. I think we were home eight weeks. And I noticed then there was a lot of pub poker when I came back. Um, but from when I left, like I said, I didn't know that pub poker even existed in Australia. And then when we came back four years later, it just it was everywhere. You just in that in that three or four years it had just you couldn't go to a pub that didn't have pub poker or Knew about it or knew someone that was playing. Yeah. Obviously, like the legislative changes too, like what was that, 2013, um, have affected uh, tournament poker, obviously, at Crown and the online capacities to some extent. Uh, do you see any opportunities that may arise from this that haven't already? I think when and if, we all say when, but we've been waiting a long time for Victoria to toe the line with the rest of the states or yep. the federal government to come in and say, let's just let everyone have a go, that tournament poker will boom again in Melbourne. Like it was it was already the, the hub and then we've – the problem Melbourne's got is we can't run – we can't charge rake anywhere else other than casino and now the casino is not running any poker or any cash – any tournament poker Yeah. Um, due to their limits. But once that goes or if it goes or if Crown comes off their restrictions and starts running tournaments again, I think we'll have another massive booth here in Melbourne. Like there's just so many players. Yeah. But then again, a lot of them have moved into cash and are making very good money in cash. So whether they come back to tournaments or not is another thing. Yeah. How do you find the uh, disparity between cash and tourneys obviously you know like tournament poker uh zoe did quite well in the centurion up in aubrey our uh, final table that but obviously grinding for however many hours whether it be 10 12 or multiple days and not seeing a result versus cash you know like you're up or 3x or 4x your initial stack and being able to leave it's a different different mindset and a slightly different game um as far as your ranges ranges and, and- most tournaments, even though there's a lot of rebuy tournaments these days, but there's a lot of tournaments where you're you're erring on the edge of safety because you don't want to lose your stack. You want to stay in the tournament and get to the end where the money is. Sure. Whereas in cash, you can take that 40% chance and if you lose, that's fine. You just buy back in and keep going, go have another go. Um, but in saying that, nowadays – a lot of the players, especially in the medium sort of level tournaments, are playing almost a cash game. Like they only know the one way. They're all very aggressive with their draws. 
But for me, I played a lot of cash back in the early or mid-2010 sort of area. Yep. And then I sort of gave it up. And it was for me, it was a massive grind. You're making good money, but at the same time doing the same thing at the same blind levels, with mostly the same grinders in Crown. You still see them now. Like we don't, we rarely go now, but even now, 10 years later, you see the same guys playing the same levels 10 years later. It's like... It's no growth. It's no growth, but there's, there's no change in the game. You're doing exactly the same thing every day, every table, every game. And I, I just found it, it wore on me emotionally. Yep. When you'd see someone come in, blow a stack, buy a stack, buy a stack. They'd go through they a, don't value five, their stack. five or six buy-ins yep. and then go, and you know they've just left $1,500 down and you've, you're looking at this bloke walking out and you're thinking, is his family going to eat this week or yeah. well, what? And when you see that day in and day out for weeks and weeks and weeks, it's just in the end it's like, do I really want to do this? Where with tournaments, I like the idea of, if you lose your stack, you're out. That's it. Freeze outs or it. even a double bullet, just yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but also having goals where like hand and mob with caches, um, most of the series have player of the series. That's one of the things I chase most of the time. Yep. Just just results and getting on scoreboards here and there and just seeing where you are with the other players. Yeah. Run, runs on the board. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Whereas with cash, like you might know that you're winning – thousand dollars every day but you don't know how that compares to the other guy sitting next year so you make, so you're making 1500 a day like yeah it's a good point so with any growth you want to make sure that it's measurable to some extent and obviously you're using hand on mob to do that yeah well hand and mob and most of the other series like nearly all the series now have their own websites with their own stats and their own bits and pieces here plus we keep our own spreadsheets of what we've spent what we what we make and what so managing cash uh your bankroll yeah yeah, it's a good way to do it and uh, obviously a question that I'll have uh, later on for you. Uh, World Series of Poker, it's uh, obviously on at the moment. Uh, chatting to you, uh, you went last year. How did you find it? Vegas in itself was a blast. Like it's, like they say, the city that never sleeps and that's true. You cannot explain it without being there. It's just ridiculous. doesn't matter whether you walk out at 3 a.m., Lunchtime, dinner, five in the afternoon. Yeah. There's people dancing on the street. There's people passed out in the gutter. There's strippers fighting with coppers. There's just like the streets just don't, just don't, doesn't matter what time of day it is, every, nothing changes. It's just constantly going. Yep. Which is a problem for me, um, especially with the apps telling you where all the other games are when the world, once the World Series games had stopped. It's like, so it was having to come find me every second night to like just drag me home to. Sleep. Get some sleep because otherwise I'd just play 24-7 for the whole three weeks we're there. Yeah. Um, and in saying we, I did the same thing with the main event. I purposely picked day one, I think 1C, so that I got the flight, a, a yeah. break between day two and then a break between day two and day three. Right. But instead of taking those breaks, I just went and played poker at other venues. Other than that, managing, yeah, trying to manage fatigue and control your brain power like if, if, you, if you're doing if you're playing poker for 20 hours a day every day at the there comes a point where you just melt down yep we found the level of play especially in the sort of $1,500 events and lower yep to be no different if not worse than pub poker here Pretty in Australia soft. it's ridiculously soft like people just and we couldn't understand it like why 
how are these people spending 1500 US and just calling off all pre with 10-2 off or, you know, just yeah, right. Just some really random stuff. But once we got used to that and valued your hands and go for overvalue once you've got the nuts, yep. did all right. Like even the main event, like that that was what really blew me away. I would spend a week and a half getting used to the play there and I ended the main event and day one was just ridiculous. Like I, I chipped up so quickly in the first half of the day. There was only two blokes at the table that seemed to have any idea. One, one was continually catching good cards and he, he ended up taking two-thirds of my stack towards the end of the day and went on to like day seven. With, he ended up with quads against my full house, which was nasty. But, but I still made my chips back. Day two, it got a bit better, but it wasn't until day three and even halfway through day three that it really got to where pretty much every player at the table had some skills. Of, sure. When I say some skill, like I mean decent skills. Like you see, it was like realistically, at the end of day two, there was still half the field were pub poker players. With really? Far out. A lot of them didn't know what position was, didn't know 3X or 3 betting. Like they're just playing their cards. It's yep. just like, what is going This is a $10,000 tournament. This is day two. Like what is going on here? How, you, you touched on obviously uh, burnout and fatigue. Uh, how did you manage that whilst you were there? I didn't. You didn't? So that would be one thing so, the next time. So I managed my fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so next time we'd like to go for longer and and actually take some break days. Yep. Um, Whether that be just go to the Grand Canyon yeah, and just, just chill out yeah, away. Effectively have to get away from Vegas because yep. we can't sight. I can't sight. So in Vegas you walk past a casino, walk in, oh, there's a tournament. I'm just going to jump in this for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, that's a big part of it, trying to get decent sleep. Like we were lucky where we were. The room was pretty dark yep, and pretty quiet so we could get decent sleep once we wanted to sleep um, and just trying to avoid the big parties. Like we didn't party at all. It was poker only. Yeah, treated as, as a business trip almost. But even with that, like that was the thing. I just played way too much poker. Yep. Uh, Zoe, your partner, uh, has done quite well in the game. How has the dynamic of both of you being not only great at poker but loving the game, how has that benefited both of you during this journey? Well, I think that's really what pushed us both into touring more often is with the both of us having a partner that was as interested in the game. Yep. So in the past I've always had, you know, come on, darling, can I go away for the weekend to play poker or whatever? Yep. Or I'm just going to go to the casino for the night. It's always been a struggle of can I, will I. We're here, we're here now. It's like we're arguing with each other of like which series we're going to go to or yeah. what day we're going to have off. Um, between the two of us, our game is both a little bit different. Almost, well, when we started together, almost completely different spectrums of the game. And then within that, we've kind of picked up little things off each other, which has helped both of us. And then just, yeah, just like I said, the... Us both wanting to go to the series, we go. Yep. Um, so works from home and can work from wherever she goes. It works quite often. We'll go to a series and she'll work most of the day and then come down at four o'clock in the afternoon and start playing yeah, for the night. So between that, obviously sharing accommodation, transport, I usually drive the truck and I'm working while I'm up there. I work for most of the series, so I'm getting paid by most of the operators as well. So it makes it very cheap for us to go as well. Yep. And and just both of us having the love of the game just keeps us going and has, has allowed us to play 
probably almost as much as we could. Uh, can you describe your approach to reading opponents and picking up any tells on the table? I don't know if you want to go into it, but uh, I was watching some uh, clips of Fador Holtz. Fador, uh, he describes everyone on the table to be placed in the uh, six categories. So whether that be tight, calling station, solid, regular, loose, aggressive, maniac, or top reg slash pro, is there any sort of approach or table talk or tells that you try to? Years ago, it was that was part of my, uh, let's say, modus operandi is that was the first thing I'd do. Every time I sat at a table I'd, and every time a new player come to the table, I'd be, I'd be judging them on what they were wearing, what they were, what they were, what they did, how they sat, how they touched their chips. Just fully categorising them and trying to work out everything. Yep. And then eventually, when we started playing more and more two-day tournaments and bigger series, you get to the point where it just you just don't have the brain capacity to continually gather that information Every on eight, eight people yeah. at the table who then turns into 10, 12, 13 as more players come. So then then it becomes trying to quickly judge, right, yeah, this is what I think that player is. We'll watch them for half an hour, see what they're doing, get a general idea, and then it's just little things in certain spots. And then obviously with the amount of we go on the tours now, we see, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the field are the same travelling regs. And you've generally got already got a pretty good idea on their game, and they, if they've got any tells, yeah. Um, not going to go into that too much. That's <laughs> I, fair. I, I don't have tells. I don't have tells on anyone out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are some really obvious ones that pop up here and there. Yeah. Um, there are other ones that are a little bit minor, but other people spot them here and there. And actually, I was only speaking to a guy a couple of months ago who, just in the chat, we started talking about tells, and then he. He told me two tells of two regular players straight away, and I'm like, played them heaps of time, haven't even seen that. And it's just the little things. Yeah. That's kind of how I actually met Zoe. I'd seen her around at pub games here and there, and we're playing cash on New Year's Eve one night at Crown, and I got moved to her table next to her. So I sort of started talking, said, oh, yeah, I've seen you around. We started talking. I told her a few of the things she was doing with tells, and I said, look, stop doing that, like, I guarantee you've got a big hand there. And if anyone else knows what I'm talking about, they'll know as well. They'll pick up on it. Yeah. So then we're talking about that and I showed her a few tells here and there and then there was a guy, I think must have been one to her right. And I said to her during a hand, I said, I don't know what he what, what just happened there, but he just did something different. She said, oh, what did you do different? I said, well, I don't know yet. Like, And that, that that's the problem is I, now I don't specifically look for things, I just – see something and then I know out something. Out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary. Yeah. And then it takes me a little while to work out what it is and then I've got to try and work out is that a strong hand or a weak hand. Yeah. About half an hour, 45 minutes later, we'd seen a few of his showdowns. I said, right, I've got it now. Yeah. It's always betting with his right hand when he's when he's got it. Every time he bets with his left hand, he's bluffing. Yeah. And it was as simple as that. Yeah. And she's she got in a hand with him, won a big pot off him and then tells him. So doesn't tell him but goes, oh, you're right. He does bluff with his left hand and – he picks up his chips and walks away. <laughs> uh, do you have a career highlight or from your time playing in high-stakes games or tournaments? Um, obviously, the very first one in the UK in London that I won. Um, I partied fairly big for that couple of days there. and Yeah, um, as you would. Ended up playing that night in the biggest cash game they had in there with 
um, Neil Channing, a few other big names in UK poker at the time, way above my limits at that time, but got out of there, won one hand, broke even, got the hell out of there. Um, other than that, here in Australia, obviously winning the um, Players' Champs was a big one. Player of the Series, I'm always chasing Player of the Series. You did quite well up at the Ville, didn't you? North Queensland? Yeah, the Ville did pretty well. Um, two firsts and three or four other final tables, but that wasn't enough for the uh, Liam Jehu. It was just, I think he had three wins and just crushed it up there. Um, WPT, not this last series, but the series before that I played at, did the same thing. I was leading player of the series in three days and then I went home, didn't play the last two days. So, But generally, yeah, if there's a player of the series on and I'm there for the whole series, that's that's in the end of the day, that's what I'm chasing generally. Yeah. There just seems to be a spark of young poker players playing at a very high professional level, same as Sean, Sean Oye. Uh can we just talk about these guys, what, what your uh, thoughts are, so, how they manage bankroll, how they play, will they last? I think they will and they're, and both of those two that you're talking about will adapt. I say this to, I used to say this to a lot of people five years ago. Fifteen years ago in the UK, I read a lot of poker books. Every time I won, won cashed in an event, there was a gambling book down there bookshop down the street and I bought a new book. I don't believe I picked up a lot of information for myself there, but I probably did. But what I did find is that every single player when you're playing at a medium level in a tournament or higher had read one book, one book. Like internet basically didn't exist. So you could tell this guy's playing Doyle's Super System, this guy's playing The Theory of Poker. Yeah, You knew exactly what they were playing because I've read the book myself and I know what they're doing. Once I knew that then I know what their play is and I can play against them. Sure. These days there's how many megatons of information on the internet. Yeah. So everybody's got all this information and they're getting it from all different places so you can't put them on one kind of play. Yep. But there's also that much information that they're able to – some of these kids are studying 10, 12 hours a day every day. Yeah. Like I can't even look at the computer screen for an hour – but they're, they're just gathering this information on a daily basis. And it happens It happens on your high roller games. You'll see it every year. One particular player has a golden run and wins everything for a year. Yeah. And then everyone else catches, catches on to what he's doing and combat it or start doing it themselves and it, it kind of levels out again. And then next, next one, somebody else has a new idea or starts doing something a bit different and he has a run for a year. Sure. It's the same here. Those boys come in with learning the theoretical best they could online obviously had a knack for the game and picked up something at the level of games they were playing yep. and just crushed it. Sure. And then then all the regs started to catch on on what they're doing, combat against it, and now they're finding it a little bit harder and to constantly final table. But they're still doing it. Yep. But it's just got more challenges. It's got more challenges. Cause, yep. and, and that's the thing. Years ago you could go to like a $200 tournament and there'd be maybe 10% of the field had an above average level of knowledge of the game. Yep. Everyone else had just just standard read one book, had had some idea. Now you go to these series in the bigger games, like say we're probably looking at $1,000 tournaments now, 90% of that field knows Studying. an absolute shitload. Yep. I just can't wrap my head around 
young 20-year-olds bankrolling into $2,500, $5,000 games. Like just trying to put it back to when I was 21, you know, I, I worked a lot, saved a lot, bought an investment unit, like a, a property, a little unit. I was over the moon, but I don't think, like looking back, I don't think I'd really have that mental capacity to gamble it the way they do. And I think a lot of that comes from the cash games. Right. So, so they've generated Here enough. in Victoria, when COVID come in and we were locked down. Uh, not much else to do. There was an influx of a, let's just say, cashless online poker. Yeah. Plus home games. And then obviously after the lockdown's finished, that just everyone was either playing online or playing at these home game cash games. And some of those cash games were very big. Where they can have swings of, you know, five, ten grand in a night, playing at low limits. It's and so they they come to these poker series where blowing a thousand, two thousand dollars on entry is nothing because they've got this money behind it. But on top of that, once they get that first win or first decent cash, on top of having a little bit of a bankroll to play with, they've also got all their mates from the home game back home. Will then bankroll them in. Like sweating them, sweating, yeah, and 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 most of these players have probably got over, maybe not over, but around the forty to fifty percent of themselves sold at least, if not more. It's a lot less stress when you're at the table. It works in two ways. I I don't like selling or giving away too much of my percentage at all because I feel it makes me play differently because I'm concerned about your money. Really? Where when it's my money, I don't mind if I'm taking a bit of a gamble on a flush draw that I really should. I know I should mathematically I should fold this hand, but I just have a feeling and I feel, you know, if I miss the turn, I can probably jam the river and I might still win the hand. Whereas that's your money, if like somebody's bought me into that and it's their money, then I'm thinking, well, actually, the correct thing to do here is to fold. Yep. So it changes the way I play. So I, I, I try not to sell any at all. And also in my mind, we know that overall we're winning players over the last three, four years since we got back on the circuit. Yep. Why do we want to sell large percentages of our Why do you want to sell equity? Yeah. yeah when, when you know, over, okay, you might not win this, this tournament, but over the next five tournaments, ten tournaments. Like the ROI is yeah, there. The ROI is there. Why, why are we giving away money to somebody else? Yeah. Uh, how do you handle the mental and emotional challenges that come with playing poker? What I would consider you, what, semi-professionally? Um. When you have a big downswing, it, it it starts to get to you. And I believe that's the biggest thing with regular tournament play now is any, regardless of study, how good you are at the game, how much you're playing, it's the mental game that if you can't keep control of that, you won't succeed. Because once you go on a downswing and you go on tilt and you start thinking a certain way, you can't come out of that and you, you don't play the same you start questioning yourself, should I be doing this, should I be doing that? And all of a sudden you're not winning anything and you're just spiraling and, and then the next week you're then thinking even twice as much. Yep. Now I haven't won for a month. Sure. What's going on, what's going on? You need to be able to switch off and go, right, I did everything right. This is what I did wrong. Can I fix that? But everything else is right. I just got to let the let the luck go and the next one will come eventually. Yeah. When, when that gets to long periods of time, Gets pretty nasty. Yeah, oh, massively. Uh, what are your thoughts on the balance between skill and luck 
obviously you touched on that just then. And how do you navigate that variance? Like what systems do you have in place? At the end of the day, anybody with zero skills can come to a tournament and win if they just have a lucky run of cards. Yep. But if you've got a skills advantage, you should be able to navigate that to some extent and regularly finish in the cash. Yeah. Which and and it's not so much fi- just finishing in the cash is not enough because min caches are generally two binds or something. So um, much. Which means you've deep. got to, which means you've got to cash every second tournament you play. You need to be making the top three spots. All the money's in the top three spots. If you're not regularly getting to the end, then you're not going to win that big chunk, which will then get you through the next month. So mindset's a big thing. I've got a few books and I've helped out a few people with those books and talking to people about their mindset is. One guy in particular just recently yep. was having a big drama. He was always building big stacks early on in the first half of the tournament, but then he'd blow them off in the in the middle three quarters. We had a bit of a talk about that, and, and part of his thing was, I think, burnout with his mind. He was thinking too much about every single hand, and he'd get himself to a point four hours into the tournament where he just melted down effectively. So I had a talk to him about, you know, you don't, Cut, try and cut these things out. You don't need to think about those. Have a bit of a break. And in your breaks, don't go and talk to your mate about that bad beat you had or could I have played this hand differently. Just go outside. Don't talk to anybody. Mm. Sit there, stare at the sun, get away from poker for that 10 minutes and then come back and reset and replay. Yep. And that worked pretty well for him the last series he played. He's mm. done pretty well there. Um, and... Uh, Zoe gets into a lot of uh, – I don't even really know the word. Hey, Zoe. <laughs> You'll see a lot of her uh, pictures around the place. She gets into a lot of um, visualisation. Yep. Um, which we joke about with the Tricaris Championship I won. She had that series the month before. She had the pictures all over the – Manifesting. Place. you got to manifest the win. So she had, she had the picture of the ring everywhere. Yep. We get to the game – I think she got maybe halfway through day one. And then I said to her at the end of the day, I said, oh, well, I guess I'll have to win it now. And then just went on to day two and went through it. And then we joke about it now is that I manifested it by just walking around the house with not even knowing about it. Um, but I think in that was all mindset too. Like the second half of the second day, Jigsy had already won one and come second twice or come second once at that stage. I walked up to him when we got to three tables and said, going to be you and me heads up but unluckily you're going to lose then when we got to two tables i told him the same thing then the final table i told him the same thing then it happened. And, and then it happened and then i think at that point once we got to heads up in his head he'd already been told so many times today you're not going to win that he didn't win but yeah right are there any uh common misconceptions about poker that you would like to address if any um look with the the amount of pub poker out there now, there's that many people that have had a bit of a go at it. So a lot of people do realise now, look, 10 years ago, if you told somebody you're going to play poker, they'd say, oh, what are you gambling that money for? You know, go and buy a car, go and do this, whatever. Yeah. Trying to convince people that it's not. If you know the game well enough and you've got a skill, it's not really gambling because you're playing a mind sport and you've got an edge and you're over over so many hundred hands, you, you're going to come back in profit. It, I think it's a bit easier these days. There's that much poker out there plus other 
more addictive gambling out there. Pokies. 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 Um, <laughs> sports bettings everywhere. Yeah, true. Yes. Um, that you can convince, it's easier to convince people that poker is not the big evil gambling it's made out that, to that, be. that everybody used to think it was. Yeah. I don't think it's as bad now. Like it used to be ten years ago. Like you just ninety five percent of the population just wouldn't listen to you. That oh, you're a poking poker gambler. Well, you couldn't even convince them the difference between poker and pokies. Like it's yeah. just that's just, it comes down to education. And if people aren't willing to listen, I don't think they're my type of people. To be honest, I think that's what it comes down to. Sometimes you can say that, but there are people that just will never get into cards. Will never get. Into paying ten dollars to have a go, have a go. Yeah, like what's ten dollars if you get two hours of entertainment out of it? That's how I look at well, it. That's too. how I see pub poker, and I try to explain to people about that. Like, you go to a twenty dollar night pub poker night, you're there four hours. That's five dollars an hour. Like, you pay way more than that to go and watch a band or whatever. Movies, yeah. And you've got a chance that you might win. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Obviously, being semi-professional, you've got the truck. Can you share any tips or strategies for people that are looking to manage their bankroll? It's probably easier when it's not your full-time job. Um, find somebody that will manage your bankroll for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always kept a lot of spreadsheets and data of stuff, yep. but I think with Zoe... We've, I've created a lot more specific information, which helps us. Um, but also finding ways to save money here and there. Uh, it doesn't seem like much, but if you go to, like, let's say you even only go to like six series a year, if you can save a couple of hundred dollars a week in the lead up to on, it on the accommodation times six, that there's twelve hundred bucks a year straight away. Like that's. On the flights, finding ways to find better flights or getting there. We we don't have a lot of issues with that because generally I drive everywhere with a truck. Yep. I'm getting paid to do that, so I'm effectively getting there for free. I've got my business there. I'm doing work in the mornings, making money while I'm there. So I was working from home in the in the motel, making money. Yep. And then we just go and play in the afternoon. So it's a little bit different for us as where, where we are working close to full time on top of the poker. But, yeah, you just need to basically keep track of what you're spending. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of people argue with me about really start of a pub poker that, oh, how can you afford to go out every night? You're spending $20 on a meal and a couple of drinks for the drinks cards. And that was actually before, so. But I'd say, like, I'm single. Yeah. I was going down to the local takeaway and spending that money on a, on a dinner anyway. Like, it's... What's the difference? That, that's not a cost. Yeah. That's 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 I've got to eat every day anyway. Yeah, and it's similar at these series. There is you can cut out that expense of food because you would have been eating anyway. But yeah. you have to be wary that at home, you know, you, you buy your groceries and you might be able to eat for ten dollars a night. But there, you're going to be buying a thirty dollar steak. You're going to have a ten dollar beer. You're going to do that for lunch. You're going to do that snacks here and there, you, get, you can easily spend well over $100 each a day on food. And oh, if you can just sure. limit that a little bit. Um, we, we push on trying to get Airbnbs, which are generally a bit cheaper, yeah. and get a little bit of a kitchenette, you know, get, get our snacks, get sandwiches. get Make your coffee in the morning, that's $5 saving yeah, there straight instant, away. Like just you, little things. If you can save a bit of money on the food, a bit of money on your flights, a bit of money on your accommodation, that little bit there is going to help you 
overall for the year, but also keeping track of your buy-ins. Yep. Um, there are a few angles with, especially with APL, on how to get cheaper buy-ins and winning satellites or buying tickets off people yep. for less than what it costs to enter. Even the PTCs. Yeah, well, that's it, the PTCs. That's yep. didn't want to touch onto that too much, but... Yeah, pe- people are selling their PTCs. You can get them for three quarters, half the price, and yeah. all of a sudden you're getting into tournaments rake-free. It's pretty good. Uh, I think we're sort of on time to uh, get to the back end of this uh, episode. But finally, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring poker players looking to take their game to the next level? Um, just to get in and give it a go. Like there's so many people think that that next level up is – such a big difference to the game they're playing now where in reality we're all still playing poker as long as you've got a pretty good game and you're doing all right in the level you're playing put some money aside every time you have a win yep um and then use that money to take your step up like let's say you're playing a hundred dollar or let's say you're playing fifty dollar pub games but you might go to a series every now and then you play the hundred hundred and fifty dollar games that three hundred and fifty dollar game if you put Every time you cash in your local weekly game at the pub, if you put $50 aside, by the time that series comes around next month, it's free. You, you've got that game money there, take your shot at the 350 game. And you'll soon realise that the level of play is not that greater in there than it is at the $100 game. Yeah. So if you're doing all right at that $100 game, you're going to do all right there. I found that with the uh, deep freeze, that's probably the biggest one that I've ever played. Uh, and there wasn't that much of a difference. Like Pete, the the angles that people were playing, the aggression, it's no different to what you'd see in a hundred and twenty dollar game. So the step up, I, I you know, the eleven hundred or the fifteen or the twenty five hundred, they're a bit daunting still, but it's they, just that reassurance. But once you get in there and have one go, after that you realise, okay, and maybe what I was a little bit out of my depth, but this is what that but also that's the only way you're gonna find out what you're lacking. Yeah, you'll get there and go. Oh, they're, they're all doing this, or I didn't know what they were doing. I'm, I'm losing. I'm bleeding chips. Yeah, you have to go away and say, right, why was I bleeding chips? What were they doing? Yeah, your weaknesses are exploited. But quite you obviously. won't. But you won't learn that until you get there and see what they're doing. Yeah, it's very hard for you to sit at home, get on the internet, watch watch a bit of YouTube, and go. These are the things I need to learn for this thousand dollar game. And then get there and, oh, yes, I've learned it all. It's great, but it's not because you there are the way they're playing. It's just things that you just can't learn without playing. Yeah. And as soon as you find out, okay, that's what they're doing or and or, more importantly, well, that's what I'm not doing and and fixing those holes, is yep. you you go f- just keep going. Right. It's one of the things I love about especially tournament poker is it doesn't matter how often you play. Like yep. We play, like I said, last year's 16 series. I think I probably played over 200 tournaments in a year, not one single game was the same. Every single table's different. You've always got a different group of players who then that changes the that table in particular, the way the table plays. Yep. So you're learning something every day. Is there a favourite venue for you or a favourite series or location that stands out? Um, I loved Townsville. Um, beautiful place, nice and warm, beautiful Beautiful venue, beautiful beat, uh, pools, yeah, and the feel of it up there. Like everyone was just coming in out of the pool and their fongs, you know, and play poker, play a bit of poker now. And I did really well. Yeah, um, that always helps. 
I myself particularly liked Campbelltown at APT, but I never really ran super well at Sydney. We also we we don't mind Eaton's Hill, but I somehow seem to go mostly good at APT and Eaton's. Yep. Oh, Kings, yeah, Kings poker up in Newcastle too. That's one of our favourites. Um, it is probably one of the best independent poker rooms in Australia. What Rob has put into that room in the last. 18 months is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and his series are getting bigger and bigger. He's got one coming up in two or three weeks, I'm going to say. Yeah. I think it's a 10-day series. Which will be around the time this gets released, I reckon, uh, mid-July. SPT as well. Um, I got involved with those those guys probably two and a half years ago. Uh, they invited me over to their first series, which was at the time very small. Where's that? Um, it's based in South Australia. Oh, the South but, but, Yeah, but they're, they're not – it's not South Australia Poker Tour. It's Southern Poker Tour. So they're, they're, their original plan and they're working on it is to move into Western Victoria, Tasmania, the bottom part of New South Wales. There's a couple of guys repping their gear at Albury and uh, – oh, I forget his name. Yeah, I know the La- two guys La- you're talking about. They were up Lan- from Mildura. Lanky bloke. God, yeah. he could play. Um, but, yeah, in the last year and a half or so, they have gone from strength to strength to being one of the biggest and best series around. Yep. Um, had a couple of Melbourne players come over this last series, contact me, come over, and then I said they'll never miss one now. Like, it's just... Good. They're pretty good. It's, it's, it was originally, originally aimed at getting poker back into the country over there and helping get tourism back into the country towns and making it a little bit less stuck up yeah. and more of a family sort of community, have a laugh, have a drink and just play poker without the drama. Yeah. They have kind of outgrown that a little bit now and as the series is getting bigger and there's more and more high roller events and more and more money being won, um, I think their last series was close to 400000 uh, I won the main event for twenty grand. It is starting to go back to the other series where a lot of the players are coming there just to win money. Sure, but there's still three quarters of the field have been are there just to they're a great big family. We see each other at each series. Yep. Um, and they've got some bigger things happening towards the end of this year and next year. Can't really talk about that yet, but that'll be released in the next coming months. Yep. Um, and other than that. WPT always seem to go well there. Yeah, that's up in Sydney. Tweedheads. Tweedheads. Um, but I'm never there for a full series. But one one day I'll get there for a full series and give it a run. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's just that much poker on around the place. It's it's ridiculous. You could we can't even keep our calendar updated these days. It's the, you could play poker. Almost every week of the year, you've got two choices somewhere in Australia to go and play. It's, right. There's just series everywhere. So good. It's it's good and it's bad. Like at, at some point, are we going to oversaturate? And also, you're speaking from a, a business point of view from there. Like- both both for them and the player. Like if you if you're going to go away for a week to play poker, you want there to be a maximum amount of players there. So that when you cash and win, there's bigger prize pools. Yep. But if all of a sudden half of those players don't come because they went to the series last week, 
uh, all of a sudden the, the series you go to and you've still got to pay the same for accommodation and transport, there's less prize pools because half of those people aren't there because they went to the one by the week before. I think you touched on uh, Mount Gambia. They had a series at the same time as Aubrey did. Yeah. And so you saw that split. That Yeah, there was a lot of not, – not not so much out of Victoria because there, well, there is a few Victorian players come, but, yeah, a lot of the Victorian players that I know that travel over to South Australia went to Mount Gambia because it was their bigger one, which is why the Aubrey numbers were down a little bit, but also – a lot of the Queensland boys didn't come down because they just had a big series and had a big series coming up. New South Wales has got stuff going on all the time in Sydney. It's, it is. It's, the market is ridiculously saturated at the moment, which is it's, it's good because you've got a lot of choices. But like I said, the prize pools are effectively going down because as a result, more yeah, choice. There's more choice so you can't play everyone every week. You've got to sort of pick and choose. Awesome, mate. Well, thank you. Not a problem. Legend. Uh, where can listeners hear more from you or follow your journey? Um, I think the next big one that we're definitely going to is we've got SPT and APT in early August and AP Millions, obviously. Yep. End of July, early August. It's just jam-packed. Um, and then we're going to try and get up for a couple of days or a whole week up at the Kings one, which I've, I'm thinking it's mid-July. There's APT coming on over at Adelaide in a week or so. I'm I'm over there next week, but I'm going to miss it. Yep. Trying to work work around that, but it doesn't look like it's going to line up for me. But yeah, there's every second week I'm somewhere playing, and if there's no series on, I'm just pulling up at whatever town I'm at and looking for the local game. It's yeah, sweet, awesome, mate. Well, uh, yeah. Once again, thank you, and uh, I'll catch you later.